Like a Pro podcast, your guide to the entertainment industry from the professionals at the top. Hello and welcome to Like a Pro podcast with me, Susie Wilde. And this week we're talking about magic. From David Copperfield to Dynamo, there's been a real interest in magic over the years. But one magician is changing the way we see magic. She's a world-renowned close-up magician and she's done everything from playing for royalty to residencies at all the top venues like the Hippodrome. I'm delighted to welcome Laura London. Hello. Hi, Susie. Hi, Laura. It's so good to have you here. I'm really pleased that you could join us today. How are you? Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Brilliant. Now, when I look at your CV, it's quite the CV. You have traveled around the world. You've done TV shows. You have just recently lectured the Blackpool Magic Convention. You're kind of the Beyonce of close-up magic, I would (laughs) say. I'm I'm stuck here. Because when I mentioned that you were going to be on the show, there were so many people that were really in awe of you, especially within the magic world. If I mentioned Laura London's going to be on, they're like, oh, Laura London, how did you get her on there? I was like, I don't know. I just kind of begged her. That's not true. I will do anything you want to me towards you. <laughs> I'm going to stick that on the CV. But you have had an incredible journey. And what I wanted to talk about was your show, because I saw your show Cheat. And the style of magic you do, for somebody who doesn't know about magic, it kind of changed how I saw magic because I didn't know that's what magic could be. You've got storytelling, you've got the comedy side of it, you've got this amazing kind of vintage theme to it. So would you just describe your style of magic? Well, Susie, over the years I have done all kinds of magic and generally like my sort of bread and butter is doing close-up magic at events and private parties and right. that kind of thing. The show you came to see was my baby, so it's my sort of preferred style of magic to perform for myself and I always hope that people will come and see it and enjoy it and I'm so glad that you did. Chi came from this idea of just doing magic that had uh, not only a narrative but had a bit of meaning, you know, yeah. and I love magic that tells a story. I'm a huge fan of the history of my industry. I mean, magic has been around for hundreds, if not thousand years, you know. I mean, it's had such an impact in our world today. Everybody knows what it is or the idea of it, whether they like it or not. Magic is, is very much present, you know. But there are certain magicians that growing up, I've just been fascinated by, and that's magicians that have told stories such as Ricky Jay. Ricky Jay is no longer with us, but he used to tell these fascinating historical stories whilst performing the most beautiful magic that I've ever seen. And you can see a lot of what he does on YouTube and things. Uh, And you know, my dream is always to meet him, and sadly, I never got the chance. But taking that as a bit of inspiration, I thought, you know what, I wanted to write a show with that sort of vein of, I'm going to tell a story about a card cheat from the 1920s and I'm going to share with you some of the magic that she did. And that's what you came to see. And it's honestly, it's it's been such a privilege and an honor for not only to do it, but for people to come and see it and enjoy it. It really comes across when I watch it that you have that love for history and that kind of vintage feel. So why was it the 1920s in particular that you wanted to set your story? It's a fascinating era. First of all, cheat, of course, as I said, it's about a card cheat, a female card cheat from the 1920s. Card cheating in itself 
in modern times has changed so much because of technology. So it's not quite as exciting or as interesting. Whereas we can all familiarize ourselves with the very common term of when you think of a card sheet, you think of that sort of 1920s gangster, the poker. So it's really more just to make sure I'm setting a scene that people were familiar with, as opposed to trying to create a whole new narrative that people would have to learn from scratch. So when you came to see the show, when I talk about gambling dens and I talk about that sort of thing, you instantly can put yourself there because you just know. It's true. Yeah, because yeah. you know that it was a thing, you know, especially things like gambling parlours. They don't exist now, you know. I mean, you know, you, m- you might get a, the odd person having the, the odd sort of private game, but it's just not, it's not commonly known. And it's certainly not as cool as it once was, you know, with all the smoke <laughs> and the whiskey and the jazz music and the flapper girls and the cards. It's just an yes, era that's beautiful. Interestingly, you kind of create that atmosphere. There was that sort of buzz when I went in then. When you go, if you go to one of your shows, I know that you do have a, quite a loyal fan base that will come out and see you and I could hear across everybody say how many times you've seen Laura London and wow isn't she amazing <laughs> and so I was quite excited anyway but you do what you do really well is you do draw the audience in to the point where you really do believe that this woman existed and I was convinced that she did. <laughs> I did feel very, very sad at the end. Oh, absolute nonsense and the holes are fast. But that's the whole thing of storytelling, isn't it? Telling a good story is about not only believing it yourself, whether it's uh, fiction or not. It's about really um, putting yourself there and, and immersing yourself into the world of that character. And that's what I did with Geraldine. And like you said, when you come in the room, I'm not one of these that hides backstage and like waits until the music stops and the lights go down. No, I like to be with you. I like to come out and I like to create that speakeasy feel for cheat. So that's why you've got the music. That's why there's a bit of a buzz. I want people in the room like drinking and having a great time, listening to good music. And as a host in a speakeasy, that's exactly what they would have done. They would have gone around, they would have schmoozed and they would have like done a bit of small talk. Keeping you there was part of their appeal, you know, and I'm trying to create a genuine nightclub app. That sort of underground, uh, whiskey drinking, smoky kind of vibe. I'm I'm definitely trying to make it feel like you're in a club. You're in my club. You're in my space here. And that's where I was intrigued because we have a way of making people feel like we're kind of part of this club. While we're there, we all feel like we're in that group. But at the same time, you still have that respect and you have that status as a performer to be able to command the room as well so was that something that you had to really work on in how you interact with the audience it's sort of a combination of what I already do anyway as a close-up performer my job is to go into an event and basically interrupt people's conversations and perform (laughs) magic for them that's what we do as walk around magicians and performers you know anyone in that world and doing that sort of entertainment we have to interact with people So that's the bit that comes most natural to me. You know, when you come into my space, I love to talk to you and I love to interact. Uh, And then going onto the stage is now, is is sort of almost the scarier part for me. It's sort of of mixing the two pieces together, this bit of theater that I really love to perform. But the fact that I I speak to you uh, and the people in the room beforehand. Now, this doesn't always happen, of course. You came to an intimate show, which is how the show was intended to be presented. 
but often I have done sheet in theatres and spaces where there's a lot more people with cameras and screens. And Thank I you. can't really create that same feel. Yeah. But when I can, just speaking to you and interacting just means when I walk on stage, I feel like I already know you. That's true. Now, something that interests me is, uh, so I come from a comedy background. And in comedy, they say that you have to connect with your audience before they will accept your material. Is that a kind of similar thing with, with magic as well, where you're having to do that? So how did you break those barriers of when you're having to go up to people and speak to them? They must have been a quite daunting, I guess, when you first did it. Well, I have to say, I have a saying, and it's, it's that it's not about the magic, it's about you. And I believe that wholeheartedly. It's, you know, if a magician approaches you and they're arrogant or they appear or try to act like they're smarter than you, instantly you, there's already a barrier. Yeah. You know, the spectator is going, mm, I'm not sure about this person. So I think it's really important to break that barrier as straight away, as soon as you can and, and straight away, if, if it's possible. Like I said, it's not always possible. Yeah. But in a close-up, walk-around, entertainment event environment, you, you can, and it's your job to, to do that. And the hope is that within that first second, they like you. And then if they like you, it doesn't really matter what you do. The magic should be good. That's a given. Like, yeah. you know, that should just be good. But actually being likable, that's a whole other thing. And having a good personality and someone that people want at their party is the most important thing. Coming up. Fantastic about Prince Charles is that some people, perhaps some of your listeners, listeners might not know, is that he's a member of the Magic Circle. What? <laughs> and when you talk about some of these events that you do, I mean, you have played the top venues. You've had a residency at the Hippodrome. You've played for royalty as well. <laughs> so what was that like when you, you've played for both Prince Charles and the Queen, haven't you? <laughs> Just checking them off the list. Yeah, <laughs> First residencies I've always thought was so important for, for, for magicians because it's a great way to hone in your act. And I've been very, very fortunate to not only uh, have a residency at the Hippodrome, uh, uh, I don't have it anymore, but uh, I was there for a very long time. They're still great friends of mine. But I was also at the Café de Paris, which was part of a, a much bigger show. It was a cabaret show, and I was the walk around, and I did the Café Royal and the, the Savoy, where I put on a show as well once a, once a month. So residencies are a great way to, one, get those skills and you know, not only sharper with your magic, but also those interaction skills, those skills in which you would need to talk to people. So that's a real, that was a real place where I honed in that side of me. Uh, and I was very, very fortunate to have that. Yeah, and I, I as a consequence of the, the hard work and all of that kind of thing that I did, I have played at some amazing venues. So Prince Charles, uh, I performed for twice at amazing. Windsor Castle. Wow. So he must have really liked you the first time uh, around. Well, I mean, he didn't back, book but... me personally. <laughs> uh, and there were a few other magicians there, but I've, I've spoken to him on, on a couple of occasions and he absolutely loves magic. And what's fantastic really? about Prince Charles is that some people, perhaps some of your listeners, listeners might not know, is that he's a member of the Magic Circle. What? So <laughs> he came in. 
<laughs> and he did an exam and everything. Really? And God. Did. He's, a, he's a massive fan of magic, a huge lover of, of the art. And so whenever he sees a magician, he's always incredibly kind and he loves watching it, which is fantastic. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So he's but, not just enjoying it, but actually doing it himself as well. That's incredible. Yeah, no, he's, he's an amazing, amazing uh, man and, and a great person to represent magic. Uh, and the Queen, uh, I did her 80th birthday now. I can't say that oh, wow. I was the only person there. There was a lot of magicians on that day. It was a huge party, all based around English literature. And they had uh, five kids from every school in the country there. It was a big garden party. I got to meet Basil Brush. Forget the Queen. <laughs> I'm a huge royalist and I love that I got to meet the Queen. However, got to meet Basil Brush. Amazing. Um, yes, and I've been very, very lucky in my career to be able to, to perform for people like that. And, um, you know, but, but for me, you know, my favourite people to perform for really are real world people, people that actually might never have the opportunity to see magic, you know, perhaps people in hostels and things like that. When you get situations yeah. where you are able to actually perform magic to people that will never see it. Now, that's a real special thing. And how do you go about reaching those people? Oh, I mean, I work. I work with uh, organisations. You know, I've I've done. Uh, I've worked for refugees and things like that. You know, and it's it's just about putting yourself out there and you know saying, look, I'm available. I'm here if if you want me to do anything. If there's anything I can do to help, I will. And they're some of the most rewarding and most beautiful things to to do. And and to you know, if you've got this thing that you can share, magic is a gift. You know, that you can share with other people. It's not a gift that I have. It's not like I'm gifted. It's a little thing that I'm able to give to you. You know, it's like a little yeah. present uh, and it makes you smile, right? That's what it does. So I wanted to just take it back to when you first started out in magic. Because I'm sure that the career that you've had is kind of beyond a lot of people's dreams. So where did the magic all start for you? I understand it was sort of quite young in your childhood, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, I was. I mean, I was six years old when I was diagnosed with a condition called ADHD, which uh, which basically is a, a condition that affects your focus and your mind in 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 many different ways so I was a bit all over the place and uh, I was sent to a little clinic and, and they told my mum that this is what I had but they also said look if she's into anything creative it should be encouraged you know right. she's unlikely to do well in school and things like that because you know this is the sort of condition that can really affect that side of a person but uh, I was very fortunate because two years later I saw magic and I said mum I want to be a magician I, you know because I saw this little trick and I was like this is it for me and it was the way it made all the kids feel it wasn't even about the trick itself or the magician it was just the way everyone felt and I said I wanted to do that my mum encouraged her I was very very lucky oh. a lot of parents do say no go <laughs> to school study do all of that stuff. and she already knew that that was unlikely for me so she thought well okay well if this is what she wants to do then let's let's encourage her yeah. which, which was fortunate I was lucky and where was that when you saw the magic and it made you feel all those things was it was at a kids party oh, right okay <laughs> <laughs> um, this was not a, this was not a particularly glamorous event i uh, know i mean the, the guy was like a clown he, he did sort of clown type magic we, uh, he wasn't doing magic that was particularly intricate special or good really in any way it wasn't about that it was just this i, I had this real fascination with this deceptive practice it was like he was making this so it was, it was a trick called the run rabbit run which basically is this little wooden contraption and a little rabbit appears and disappears and the kids will shout out things like oh he's over there and I was just fascinated by this prop first of all 
So hang on a minute. So he puts it in here and it appears over here. So that in itself made me go, wow, that's really interesting. But also the way my mind works is I sort of knew how it was happening. Oh. I could understand that there were sort of knobs and pulleys and all that kind of stuff. And I, because my mind was always like that. I was always making stuff. I was more a boy than a girl. You know, I, I preferred building Meccano than I did playing with dolls. Yeah. Things like building stuff and making stuff and creating things was much more interesting to me as a child. So seeing this magic trick, I saw it in the same way. It was mechanical in some So even at that very early stage, you're seeing it from the magician's point of I, view. I think I was, yeah, and yeah. that's what fascinated me the most. That teamed with the fact that every kid in that room was having the time of their life. Yeah. I thought, well, if I could do that, if I could figure out a way of doing what that man was doing on the stage and making people feel the same way he's making them feel, then that sounds like a great job to me. Yeah. And that's exactly what you've ended up doing. You touched on your diagnosis of ADHD and there are now a lot of people raising more awareness with things like um, ADHD in women and how it actually presents. A lot of people have this conception about it's a, you know, it affects your attention. But actually what you do is you really focus in on your skills. So do you think in a way it's helped with your magic and honing in on your concentration and Oh, 100%. Magic inherently is a very nerdy thing to do anyway. And the repetitive nature of practice, which you absolutely need with something like magic, really suits somebody that has things like ADHD and, and you know, there's other conditions as well. Anything with your mind, anything that sort of distracts you easily or where your focus is affected, things like magic or playing a musical instrument are always great things to help because you have to hone in on that one thing. And for me, I'm happy to sit there and practice the same move or the same thing over and over and over again. For a lot of people, that would be difficult or they'd find yeah. it boring. But for me, it really helped because what it did was when my mind was racing everywhere, you know, I'd get a pack of cards and now suddenly this was all I had to do was just look at that one thing. And now, I'm, I'm narrowing that, that focus and that, that, you know, that's a really helpful thing. And is that something that you've used in, with your show? You have a lot of things to remember as well. Like, Yeah, I, mean, I struggle. I do. I struggle with lots of things. I, I mean, I'm, I can read, but what might take somebody a week to read might take me a month. You know, my focus really is quite difficult. Even now, even though I've got um, ADHD very much under control, there's certain things that are just never going to go away. And that is things like that. So with my show, I never thought I'd be able to write a show. No, never in a million years did I think that I could do it. I could absolutely go to an event and do a magic trick. That was fine. That was my job. And I was I was doing that and I was succeeding at it quite well. But the idea of writing something, no, that was never something I thought. You know, the idea of memorizing a script no way but like anything the more you do it the easier it gets and and it really helped me and it gave me so much confidence because now you know I'm years down the line doing this same show I mean I'm writing a new show and of course I'm always learning new stuff but this is just one thing that I do on top of everything else but this is like my little baby this show that we're talking about cheat uh, and to do it constantly and over and over as long as I have has proved well, I've proved to myself that I'm able to. Coming up. People realize how big this industry is. It's massive and it's worldwide and it's everywhere. Ding. 
but sure if you could do that but what was it that made you uh do you know what I'm gonna go for it I'm just gonna well it was mostly because I never thought I could so I thought right if I do this there's no better place to take a show than the Edinburgh Fringe because one you're doing your show every single day for like you know 25 days or something and that's that's really tough that's a tough slog I'd never done it before so it was a huge challenge so that was also really appealing to me it must have been quite nerve-wracking on that first day as well knowing that you've got these 25 shows to do is I didn't take a day off, but also I'd never done Edinburgh before, so I didn't realise that everyone, you know, most people took Mondays off. Yeah. You know, all these other performer friends of mine were going, oh, are you doing a show on Monday? <laughs> yeah. um, and I did. But doing it every single day just was a, an incredible experience. Some shows were not good. Some shows were, were good. No show was great. You know, there was not one show that I came off that stage going, oh, I smashed that. No, you know, because it was new. It was brand new. I was still finding my feet and I didn't know the story as what, you know, there was lots of days where I'd have the story mixed up. So I'd say something that was towards the end at the beginning and I'd go, oh, no. And, and that's why you do something like the Edinburgh Fringe, because the more you do it, the better it gets. By the end of it, I, I knew that I had something and that was what the most important thing was. All I wanted to know was at the end of this, People are going to say, you know what, you've actually got something here and we like it. As it goes, I got good reviews. I had some really great people in and, you know, that they that reviewed me in, in the local magazines and stuff. And, you know, it blew my, blew my mind. I just, I never thought that that would happen. So the confidence um, made me, so that's why you get that's to see amazing. it even now. Yeah. So... You mentioned before that you've kind of done all all sorts of different types oh of gosh, magic. I've and tried everything. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Was this the one that just felt right? Well, I tell you what it was. I have been an illusionist. I have been a mentalist on cruise ships. I have performed almost every genre of magic that there is. And, you know, despite what people think, magic isn't one thing. Magic is lots of different things. You know, illusionists, as in those big boxes where the girl goes in or the boy goes in and they get sawn in half. Now, that is a very different type of magic than, say, close-up or people like Darren Brown who do mentalism. So, so, so vast and so big. And I've tried it all. I just always had a real affinity with cards and I just didn't, like I said, I didn't really believe I could. I, I knew I could absolutely walk around an event with a piece of rope and some coins and do, you know, the odd card trick and do them really well. Because as I said earlier, it's not about the magic, it's about you. And I oh. knew that I could do these tricks really well. They weren't particularly intricate or uh, difficult, but they were hard things to present well. And I knew I could present them well. So I was all right there. And a couple of things happened around that time that just made me think, you know, You've got to focus now. You've got to stop. You're doing too many things. You, you want to stand out or you want to make a real difference in this industry. Then why not focus on something specific? Now, that's not to say I don't still perform all kinds of magic when I do a, a walk around event. In fact, I also have a corporate mentalism show, which I do, and I did over Christmas. So I do still do other styles, but I wanted to specialize in something. And playing cards were just the thing that, you know, very few women had. And I thought, well, why not? That's the yeah. Thing. So what was the reaction when you went away from what you had been doing to sort of doing cheap? It was quite a difficult transition. And actually, uh, no more so have I felt it than recently. My manager, who was with me for 20 years, uh, she was like family to me, very good friend of mine. 
she passed away last year during oh, during so lockdown sorry. and you know that was really really hard yeah uh, but I, you know she went through that transition with me and I, you know that took a lot of guts for her because she <laughs> was going hang on a minute no 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 you're not just going to stop doing all magic and just do card tricks what if people don't like card tricks but she believed in me and she went all right fine we'll do this and she helped me do edinburgh and she helped me sort of make that transition but then more recently i discovered because without jenny um, my, my late manager. Without Jenny, I found myself not in a position to go out and get gigs because she did right. that for me. She yeah. was the person that organized my corporates and my private events and parties and she did all the paperwork. So, Suddenly I'm going, oh, um, as we were coming out of lockdown, I'm going, right, so how do I do this? Uh, my other friends are working, doing these private parties. And although yeah. I'm lucky because I'm, I'm, I, I do lectures and talks and I do other things. So within this industry so I'm still working but I wasn't getting the gigs and that's because I didn't have the person that did it for me whereas everyone else had done it themselves and then I found out recently some, you know I said well why is it that you're all sharing gigs with each other and someone gets COVID for example or get and he said Laura everybody thinks you're either they, they've made the wrong assumption that they think I'm I'm not I don't want to do it or that I just do card tricks or so I didn't realize quite that it had affected me in that way, you know, yeah, that perhaps exactly. other magicians, because I've got a great standing in my industry and I'm really lucky, you know, I've got great friends and I also have people that have supported me hugely. There's just a little hub in London here, you know, that are really the, the working magicians and I definitely considered myself one of those. And look, I am, I am one of those. It's just I didn't realize that I was getting affected just that, that, uh, that bit because of my transition with cards. And this is years later. You know? So how did you go uh, about changing that perception? That this is oh, no, I'm not going to change that. At the end of the day, people can think what they like. Yeah. Uh, I'm very lucky that I work still. And the gigs that I do get, I do get paid well. And they are really good gigs. They're either really good gigs or they're gigs that I do because I want to, because I love, you know, the organization or the party or they're for friends or whatever so I'll always perform magic always and I don't you know if people are going to not give me work because of it it doesn't really bother me because the fact is I do do all kinds of magic and if they don't realize that then it doesn't really matter yeah I'd certainly vouch for you being incredibly amazing <laughs> at what you do and it's not just me that thinks that you recently lectured at the Blackpool Magic Convention yeah and just explain for those who are unaware of the um the magic world that's quite a big deal, isn't it? Because it's like the biggest one in Europe. No, no, Blackpool is the biggest, biggest magic convention in the world. Oh, right. Okay, it's, I stand corrected. I um, and the reason for that is because Blackpool it has the space. There are obviously other huge conventions like Magic Live in Las Vegas as well, which I go to. I'll be going actually there in a month's time. Oh, wow. uh, and I have lectured there too. So there are big conventions. I don't think people people realize how big this industry is it's massive and yeah. it's worldwide and it's everywhere i'm doing a lecture in a german magic convention next month i'm doing one in france in at the end of the year so they're everywhere these conventions where people come together of, and they attract not just close-up magicians or card people or or uh, illusionists they, they attract all of us and we all come together in this one place but blackpool is very special because it's so big you know, it's in the Winter Gardens. The theatre's huge. And, I mean, we were 
almost maybe half capacity this time around because of COVID, of right. course. Uh, but you, it can get up to 5,000 people coming from all around the world. It's a season <laughs> as well. So you can't even go and really explore the place if you wanted to. You know, some things aren't open. But it's an extraordinary experience, you know, to be there. And yeah, I was very honoured to be asked, for sure. Yeah, I know. Um, well, I, but I, I, I've known a couple of magicians via the, uh, the comedy circuit and they get so excited every year about Blackpool. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, you oh, know, like... <laughs> Yeah, it's <laughs> and it's like the kind of Facebook posts go off. Like, I'm going to Blackpool. Like, it does make you think it must be just incredible, the atmosphere and that. But to be lecturing, I mean, you have to be pretty high level to be doing that. I know I know you're not one to... Uh, well, I, you mean, know. <laughs> I left home in school when I was 15 years old. So, wow. you know, if I ever yeah. thought I'd lecture or do any kind of... T- you never thought I'd be able to forget writing a show. I mean, that is really something I never thought I'd, I'd do because I just... I thought academics or something, you know, did that sort of thing. Right. But actually, that's not true. Of course, you can do lectures on anything if you are somebody that does that thing, whatever yeah. that is. And in my case, the last... 20 years I have performed magic and I do have I have experience and I have performed all over the world and I have been really fortunate in in my career in that respect so I do have something that I can say and so I have put several talks together I don't just do so the one I did in Blackpool was about narrative and storytelling so I taught some magic and stuff in it but you know that that was for Blackpool I also have one on a female magician called Mercedes Talmer she was from the 1800s she was considered the first ever female sleight of hand performer and Houdini himself Self said that she was the greatest sleight of hand performer of all time. Not female, but actually person, which is an amazing thing. This is interesting because I know you were the, the youngest female to be in the magic circle at the time, I think when you were 18. Is well, that- okay, so I need to clear that up. Of course, I'm not the youngest. I wish I was the youngest. Um, no, I, I did my exam on my 18th birthday, which meant that there was no female, that one was probably that eager. <laughs> and I passed uh, just a few weeks after that, of course. So, you know, there was no, I don't think any female has been that eager. They, they've beaten me to that. So I was the youngest female to pass my exam. But there are some brilliant young magicians that are women that have not only joined the uh, joined the magic circle, but they are making huge waves in our industry. And I just love that, you know, I'm helping partly paving that way. Yeah. I'm certainly not the first, and I definitely won't be uh, anywhere near the, the last um, of, of the magic circle. It's an organization that's been going since... Uh, 1905 so it's it's a long time standing club that has had great successful magicians in it I know that one of the things you like to do is to if you like send the elevator back down and you really help to push people and encourage them when they're interested in magic and I understand that's kind of what you had with magician called Faye Presto yeah, well, she absolutely helped me. And she was hugely. quite instrumental in getting women into the magic circle in the first place, wasn't she? I, like, there was lots of people that were helping getting women into the magic circle, and she was certainly one of the first women that joined, um, along with uh, several others. There was maybe only five or six, though, that joined all, all at the same time. I believe Debbie McGee was also one of those, which uh, your listeners might have heard of. Uh, and she was one of those. But what she was, for me, not only a mentor, but she... It wasn't about the magic with Faye. She didn't teach me magic necessarily. 
what she did is she taught me how to be entertaining. And a lot of people don't really get that opportunity because most people get a mentor and they go, right, I'm going to sit with you and I'm going to now teach you magic tricks. Yeah. And the very few say, now go and take these magic tricks and now make them entertaining, go and perform them. She didn't care about the magic. She was <laughs> like, I don't care what you do. Now go out there and make it great. Make it so that those people are having the best time. And that's what she did for me. Now she and I are completely different in terms of what we do, our styles. But in those early days, not only did she help me become the magician that I am today, I mean, literally at that point in my life, I mean, I was, a, I was in a bad place. You know, I was living in a council flat. I was taking drugs before then, you know, and I was coming out of a pretty bad sort of teenage Sure. life you know that, yeah. that, that I struggled with hugely like I said I left home when I was so young so she I mean she would literally come into my flat and open drawers and be like right Laura these bills haven't been paid but I'd left school early I didn't even realize the importance of these things so she helped me also in that respect as well very <laughs> it's extraordinary because uh, yes she's helped me but she's helped an awful lot of magicians right I'm just one of one of the many that she's helped but through the years one of her things is to take uh, take young people and really help them blossom. And she's done that with so many. And, and, I, and I'm very grateful to her for, for doing that with me. Yeah, she must be very proud of what you've achieved now. I think with, she is. Yeah. I think she is. Although she'll say, she'll go, yeah, so Laura does all the finger flicky stuff. <laughs> um, pretty much. Uh, and I bought her the other night. And I think she said it then too. It's not mentoring me now. You know, that was 20 years ago for certainly those first few years of my career helped me get residencies and things, which, of course, those years are the most important when you're going into any any part of the entertainment industry. Having somebody hold your hand and say, you know what, you can do this. Let me help you. So between her and Jenny, uh, my my late manager, and of course, my mum, although we've had our ups and downs, my mum my has also been incredibly supportive and helpful throughout those years as well, you know, so I was very lucky, really lucky. Yeah, so um, I think it's incredible that you have that sort of connection and almost like a, a sense of community. You did mention that you, um, you left home at 15. It seems incredibly young. Mm -hmm. And do you think that that helped? Because you have a huge sense of independence as well and kind of being you know doing things your way do you think that that kind of shaped you in a way oh uh, I every single thing that every person does on this planet makes them who they are today you know we're not born smart we're not born uh, you know in any specific way we are born and then we are raised and however we are raised in part uh, affects the person that you become you know your personality and and all of those things. And then if you have a condition such as ADHD, then of course that affects you as well. Sure. So I'd got to the point where I was 15 and I just couldn't get my head around what was going on. My head was all over the place. I was partying a lot. I didn't want to go to school because I couldn't cope with it. It wasn't that I wasn't clever or smart or that I wasn't interested in history. I love history or English. And, but I just couldn't deal with the way in which they taught. I didn't, the structure of it didn't suit my nature. And, and so that affected me and I, uh, and I couldn't deal with it. And then I, and as a consequence, I struggled really badly and then rebelled so much that I ended up leaving at home, you know, with a massive breakdown in communications and relationship with, with my mum. Uh, so I, I left. 
is is what happened. But you know, even even after I left, she sort of helped me. My mum. She was like, okay, we we're not getting on, but you're my daughter, and I love you, so let's yeah. let's help you. And so I got a council flat, and and you know, and and of course, you know, of course, as you become an adult, that changes. And you know, my mum and I are very much there for each other now, uh, all these years later. But those were difficult times for her as well as for me, you know, and not necessarily for for each other. Imagine she was a a parent bringing me up on her own and my father had passed away when I was very young and you know I don't have any siblings we only had each other and then she had to deal with me a rebellious teenager partying not going to school getting in trouble with the school because of course a parent you know gets in trouble a lot for for what their child does when it comes to you know yeah. truancy and stuff stuff so yeah it was it was a difficult time I mean you, you touched on it being that um bit more difficult with uh, your with the ADHD and um, I know that a lot of people feel like kind of the mainstream system doesn't really support people who are neurodivergent um, so how do you think in general how can people help better support those with um, those that are neurodivergent in pursuing their careers and what actually interests them. Well, I think it is a lot better now. To be honest, when I was a kid, that's that was it was a different world then. You know, the fact that we talk about mental health issues and um, and and neuro uh, neuro situations and then the way in which people think and the way their minds work and things. We we've studied it all so so much now, and the studies are continuing. And they're continuing to get better. And the way we deal with diversity and the way we deal with disability and mm. and conditions such as ADHD is wildly different. You know, when I was a kid, they were saying to my mum, well, give her medicine. My mum, thank God, said no. You mm. know, uh, I'm so pleased about that. But it it was an easy way of dealing with things. You know, the 80s, 90s, it was like, just give her medicine. Yeah. It'll go away. But it doesn't. And now research is doing such fantastic jobs now and there's so many organizations that are really helping people now understand how we can move forward more positively which is great and an organization that is particularly close to you is breathe you did mm -hmm. mention that before and uh, could you just explain a little bit about your work with them and um yeah what, oh, what that means to no. you i think the best thing i've ever done in my career is is Get, uh, get together and, and be part of the Breathe organization. Breathe is run by an extraordinary woman called Yvonne Farquharson who started this from scratch. She wanted to uh, create something that uh, used, used sort of the arts uh, to, as therapy, but also within that have a scientific basis for it all to prove that it works. Yeah. To prove that it works. And so how she did that is, well, in our case, with, with Breathe Magic, was using magic as therapy and uh, very specifically with young people who have a condition called hemiplegia. And hemiplegia affects half the body. Okay. Uh, and in particular, their hand. So their hand can be either quite tight or it can be quite floppy, but it just, you know, it can't necessarily do the things that, uh, that, that most people can do. Like, for example, cutting your food mm. or tying your shoelaces. So using the magic is not just, it's not about the confidence, it's not just about the mind, it's also physically helping them use their muscles in a different way and oh, using yeah. a very engaging and fun thing like magic in order to 
to do that. Yeah, so then that's going to, I guess, get to people more than if you say, all right, here's a bunch of exercises to try out, for example, or here yeah. is, although there is obviously a place for that. Uh, now, I'm interested in that be quite, um, you know, daunting to start over again and to have to relearn how to do things. So, you, you know, it's not it's not just me. Uh, I'm part of an unbelievable team of magicians. There's uh, magic trainers, occupational therapists. Uh, the team, the breathe team itself are just unbelievable. And they work so hard to get these camps off the ground each year. Yeah. And the way the way everyone works together is so inspirational. You know, just sitting in the office, for example, with these people, you feel better. Yeah. It's because you're surrounded by amazing people who are so kind and they just want to make a difference. And Breathe is also extends, it's going to be extending into, you know, mental health sectors and it's going to just grow and grow. It's uh, this year, in fact, we're celebrating 10 years. Oh, wow, so that's incredible. It's an amazing thing, amazing yeah. milestone. Amazing. So I, I, what, I, what I've noticed is that, you know, you, you do these incredible things and you're not somebody who does it for the credit of it or because, you know, oh, it looks good. You really genuinely have a connection to what you're doing, which I think is really when, amazing. When you see a young person go up on stage who wouldn't speak, who, who struggled to communicate, struggled with their confidence because they had this condition and then they get up there and they do some magic and they and you see their family and their friends and they're doing it in front of people you know of course it's not about us it's about them and you know just watching that makes every every moment of that work worth it i think it's a real credit to you that you have not only given them that confidence but also in everything that you're doing you're showing that there's so much more to magic than the magic itself oh like there absolutely is there's more to magic uh, than so many people realize the fact that you can go up to somebody who's having a bad day and mm. you can just show them a little miracle show them a little miracle it is like a little they, miracle they actually, smile yeah. suddenly you've just made someone's day with yeah. this little thing this sort of silly thing that we've all learned that somehow we're making a living from i mean it's kind of ridiculous in a way <clears throat> that a deck of playing cards can do so many things you know it's amazing that you can take an everyday object like a glass and make it move ever so slightly <laughs> and then suddenly this you know magic is just a wondrous thing and it it makes people forget about what they're worried about for just or if it does make them forget about what they're worrying about for just a moment gosh isn't that worth it yeah it's and just I, amazing i mean i i i said to um one of my friends before that the reason why i like magic is because it's the same reason why I like rom-coms, which is, okay, now stay with me on this because I no, know no, rom-coms, rom okay, I know. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea. I'm, I'm a massive fan of rom-coms. And the reason is, I said it's because it makes you feel like um, even though you know it's probably not going to happen, there's enough in it to make you think it could happen. Uh, and I feel like way to think about it I yeah I, 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 but I do feel like and you do that so well where you know even if deep down I know that you know maybe somebody isn't a magical person although I still believe you are <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> 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 
<laughs> die with the lie, Laura. Let's just die with the lie. <laughs> but even so, it does make me feel like, oh, wow, that's like, um, yeah, that, that it could be that there's a world in which, you know, you can just, even for that moment, whether it's like for an hour or for a few minutes, you're, you get into a space where it is possible that you move things around and things disappear and reappear and all these amazing things happen. And um, yeah, it's, it must be quite lovely to live in that kind of magical world it's as well. It's a really, really lovely, lovely world full of amazing people. The community of, uh, from the magic industry is like no other. You know, you get singers and there's a lot of singers, right? But they don't have places where they all go and they all chat about stuff. We do. We've got this camaraderie, this space where we can make great friends. I can go anywhere in the world, look up the nearest magic shop and I can walk in there and know that I've got friends. And how amazing, amazing. is that? In this, in this country I have, I mean, and also uh, so many of the things that we've spoken about, it's certainly not just me. Um, you know, I've been helped by David Britland, this incredible writer who really helped me get cheat off the ground, for example. Um, Joyce Kidd, who, who's who's not only my, my greatest friend, she's also taken over as my manager. You know, there's amazing, amazing people in the world. And if we surround ourselves with those people, um, we can all do extraordinary things. And I just think magic and its industry uh, is really special for that in particular. Do you know, it's making me want to run out and get a pack of playing cards. Do it, do it, do it. That would be amazing. <laughs> Comedy magic, coming soon. Well, Laura, it's been really lovely speaking with you. Um, I just have a, a few questions from some of our listeners, if you wouldn't. We've got one from Ian, and he asked if you could put any trick in room 101, which one would it be? <laughs> well, we're now talking technical terms. Many of you yeah, please, it'll fire my head. Probably aren't magicians. <laughs> so uh, there's many things I put in the bin. Uh, in you know, every tr trick has its place. <laughs> okay, that's a lie. Um, okay. Uh, uh, all right, so... I... <laughs> That's such a, such, a, such a funny question. I'm going to say the Omni deck. Uh, <laughs> so for those that are listening that know what that is, I'm so sorry if you perform it. Uh, and okay, so the reason I'm saying I'm that, and, and, and I'll give it a bit of context, is is um, a, a trick that everyone does right. is a trick that I will always avoid. Okay, well, that's brilliant. If it's brilliant a really common trick, if you go to an event and the person at that event said, oh, I love it, C can you do that thing that, you know, and they've just described something that they've seen. Yeah. You know it's too commonly done. <laughs> so I put anything in the bin that is done too often. Well, that's why your shows are amazingly innovative <laughs> as they are. So uh, another one comes from Jen, who said that you performed for the Queen, also Prince Charles, we know now. Um, and she said, were you nervous? And did your, if you were, did the nerves affect your performance? Oh, okay. Um, look, you're always nervous when you're performing uh, in such grandeur with people like that. I, I did something that I know really, really well, and I would never perform in front of anybody, especially anybody uh, of note or something that I know will be something I'll always, always remember forever that I don't know, like the back of my hand. Right, yeah. So, trick. I, I, well, I performed two things. 
I'm just trying to think. Um, I did a, a trick with, with fire. Uh, I borrowed a coin and it burnt through a deck and it found <laughs> Prince Charles's card. I remember that. And I'd done that trick so many times. So I wasn't nervous. It didn't affect uh, the performance. But walking up to them, of course, <laughs> I was shaking. I was like, oh my God, am I not um, Face to face. The second royalty. time I met him, though, uh, no, we had a little chat, in fact. And in oh, fact, right. he actually said to me, he said, ah, oh, Miss London, you still have red hair, I see. <laughs> so, Just casually, as you do. We're all friends, friends now, yeah. It's, it's, it's all good. It's like it's nothing now. And, uh, I'm just waiting for the invite. <laughs> yep. And finally, Tom asks, um, what do you wish you knew about magic before you started? I mean, I started magic when I was so young. So in a way, that's the best way because I had no misconceptions. I had nothing to compare anything to. So the way in which I got into magic is the way I, I'm really pleased. You know, I'm really happy yeah. with the way that that happened. Had I known that it would be a tough industry, it would be hard to make a living, you know, would I have done anything differently? No. Maybe I would have had less of that balls to go for it. So it's probably a good thing I didn't know <laughs> that. Otherwise, maybe I might have shied away from it a little bit more. Okay, well, we're very glad that you didn't. Um, <laughs> Laura, I could talk to you forever. Um, unfortunately, we're coming to the end of our conversation now. No! <laughs> um, but I just wanted to say thank you so much first of all for your show Cheat I think it's incredible and I think if anyone's ever lucky enough to see you they should um, and also for all the work that you do for people with disabilities for people who are different it's easy okay pack of playing cards being brought go by right now in fact, <laughs> i'm gonna give you one i've got something in my bag that's it for the magic episode of like a pro uh, remember you can tune in and follow all the other um episodes to find out about the entertainment industry from the people in it thanks for listening